here we go. Starting at verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward them, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. And they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is, this is an extraordinary story. Uh, most summers, what I like to do is take a biography, pick a character from scripture, and then track over the summer the trajectory of their life. And so I just want to remind you where we were one generation before this story. It was Elijah. It was a king. And in the beginning of when we meet Elijah, he is hiding in a cave from his own king. This story, we have the king consulting Elisha, God's new prophet, about what to do next. 
That's an extraordinary move. In just one generation, we have a king worshiping false gods, trying to kill Elijah. And then one generation later, we have a king consulting Elisha about what ought to be done next, a move, a change. Do you think change is possible? Yes, good, good. We are a church who affirms that real change is possible. And we are a church that affirms that true peace is possible. And this passage is about how to achieve peace. So if you happen to be troubled by the divisions in our town, our country, and our world, let's pay attention. What's interesting about this passage is that the kings of Aram, I mean Aram, and Israel are not mentioned by name. This does a a few things in the reading of the passage. Not knowing the names of the king, it emphasizes the role of Elisha, who is named in this passage. Puts an emphasis on the king who calls Elisha my father when consulting him about what to do. In not naming the kings, which is not how history is told. If you ever, if you know anything about studying history, who the king is is the first thing you learn about a different generation, a different era. But we have in scripture here the question, but who was the prophet? And in naming the prophet and in having the king defer to the prophet, this is another way to look at history, to look at those who spoke on behalf of God, what they said, and and what happened next. And lo and behold, in not naming the king but the prophet, you have a peaceful way forward, Uh, the way of peace together, a a cycle of violence for violence, of raiding and defending into a new script with God intervening and the words of the writer, and they never raided God's people again. God is intervening through Elisha, passing information to him. And the information God gives to Elisha that so frustrates the king of Aram is traps set for the people of Israel. So the the information that Elisha receives is not how to strike first, how to strike hard, how to show no mercy, sir, but instead, anybody see Karate Kid? All right, that's all right, duly noted. Um, That the information Elisha's given is not how to set traps for the enemy, but how to avoid conflict, how to avoid traps, all setting up a way of peace. Here are two warring tribes. Here's one group of soldiers coming down to capture and bring back Elisha. And what we have is a de-escalation of conflict and a peace of two people at war. And we saw this week with Russia and Ukraine, a violent conflict and how violent only seems to beget more violence even internally. Here's the way of peace. These raiders are sent to capture Elisha. We're not, we're not told why the king wants Elisha, but we can guess. It's probably one of two things. Option one, torture, kill, revenge. Here is someone who has thwarted my plans. Here is somebody that has taken information, a spy in Israel. This is what we do to spies. We kill them. We make examples of them in the most creative and violent ways possible. Or 
use that information. Hold them captive. Say, tell us what the king of Israel is going to do. Tell us where the next trap they're setting for us is. Tell us where we can go and find undefended places to take what we need for our tribe. It's the ultimate spy. You know, that kind of information, you can conquer the world if you have access to the information about your enemies uh, and information that the spy says to the king of Aram that Elisha hears what you whisper in the privacy of your bedroom. Saying in the most intimate places, the God of Israel hears you. The God of Israel tells his prophet. And so he says, well, then bring me this prophet. Go and get him. So they go. They know where Elisha is. They surround him. They set the terms of surrender, bring out Elisha, and there will be no further bloodshed. And Elisha is surprisingly relaxed, peaceful. There's no fear in love, and there's no peacemaking without love. So how does Elisha not have any fear? His servant comes to him and says, aren't you terrified? They're coming for you. They're right at our doorstep. They only have one objective, you. How are you not terrified? Well, we have recorded in this passage three prayers. Three times Elisha makes direct requests to the God of Israel. His first request, open the eyes of my servant who is too scared to see what's all around them. Move his eyes off of the enemies that have come to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. And instead, open his eyes to the army of the Lord that is here to protect me and to protect his people. His eyes only see danger. They do not yet see the chariots of fire. Again, thank you, Dr. Moore, for that wonderful opening piece that uh, connects us to today's passage. Uh, You're afraid because you see the danger, but you do not see the chariots of fire around you. You do not see that there are more with us than there are against us. You do not see we are under God's loving care and protection. You're looking too much at the danger and not enough at the God who sees. Think about, since we've had some time living, walking with Elijah and Elisha, Think about how we're first introduced to Elijah. He's hunted. He's living all alone in a cave by a stream of water before God sends him to a widow outside of the tribe of Israel to provide for both of them and, their, and her son through multiplying the, the grain, multiplying the olive oil so they can have enough food every day. Then the confrontation with the prophets of Baal, fire from heaven, the killing of the prophets. And then Elijah hears, King wants you dead. Jezebel, his wife, wants you dead. And Elijah says, nothing ever changes. I thought this would change everything. Nothing ever changes. And he runs. Now, where do we find Elisha? Friends with the king, consultant to the king, Surrounded by a company of prophets, as God told Elijah, Elijah, you're not alone. There are thousands of people that have never bowed the knee to Baal or Asherah. There are thousands that I've retained for myself. Would you trust me to, follow, to find them 
And now we have Elijah gone in his own chariot of fire, and Elisha continuing the legacy of God's prophet who sees a vision of God all around him. What did Elijah not see? He couldn't see what God was doing around him and thought he was all alone. What does Elisha see? He sees he is surrounded by God, his faithfulness, his friends, and that there's nothing anymore to fear. Elisha sees God all around him, and his prayers move from what he sees to what his friend sees to what everyone sees of God's providence and care. His second prayer is to strike the enemy with blindness. Make them blind. Rob their eyes so that they cannot see the army around them. This is interesting. I wondered why not just skip the second prayer and just go straight to opening the eyes. Why go from opening the eyes of a servant to blinding all the enemy soldiers to leading them to the capital of Samaria to opening their eyes there so that they can see? What, what's the point of the blindness? And if you think about this through the lens of de escalation. If you have people that are ready for battle, sword in hand, and then all of a sudden their eyes open and they see another army, what are they going to do? They're going to attack and, well, they're going to lose. But if you blind them, if you lead them, you're entering them into a place where they're starting to question the power of the sword in their hand. They're obeying Elijah, who's taking, Elisha, who takes them to the capital building, to the king, and then ultimately, after disarming them through blindness, through leading them to a space that he can feed them. He spares their lives and shows mercy. Because that's what the third prayer is. Open your eyes to see, open everyone's eyes, the king's eyes, our friendly soldier's eyes, the enemy's eyes. Let them see the fiery chariots all around them. And the king, his eyes are open along with everybody else's. He sees that Elisha has just let, led this, the sol, enemy soldiers right to his doorstep, opened his eyes to see heavenly army around them, and he asks a question that unveils the kinds of things kings think about. Should I kill them? Twice he asks Elisha, should I kill them? You've brought them to me. You've opened my eyes to see angels. We're safe here. They're ready waiting, fish in a barrel, and Elisha says, no. The king sees an opportunity for an easy victory. But what does he do that's so distinct and different among most of the kings of Israel after Solomon? He asks the prophet for advice. He sees what's obvious. Well, obviously I should kill them. But then he says, but I should check with God's prophet first. What would he have me do? The one who has the ear of God himself, who listens and speaks to God himself. What would he have me do? And Elisha has walked with Elijah for 18 years now. He heard Elijah in 18 years of walking and doing ministry together. You're going to hear every story the other has to tell 10, 20 times. And I'm sure top of the list is, can you just tell me one more time about your confrontation in the wilderness with the prophets of Baal and the fire from heaven? And 
And here Elijah say, you know, after the fire fell and the altar is consumed, what made sense to me is what made sense to the king here, kill the prophets. Removing, killing my enemies means there's fewer enemies, means the way of peace is, one, is that much closer. What I found was in killing those prophets, nothing changed. The queen called for my head. I went right back to where I was beforehand, on the run, all alone. God's people still worshiping the wrong gods. King whose heart was far from God still on the throne. Nothing changed that day until I went to have a little talk with God. And I wanted to say, I've been faithful to you all my life. I've done nothing but obey you, and this is how you repay me. You lead me to a place, fire from heaven, kill the prophets like I thought you wanted, and then here we are back to square one. And what God said to me in the cave that day, in a quiet whisper, is I'm not in the fire, the thunder, the earthquake, the wind. I'm in the still, small voice. Elijah, you're not alone. I've set people aside. And then this is Elisha's favorite part where he says, yes, and who did he set aside first? And Elijah's like, well, he, he said your name to me. Uh, go find Elisha. And then you and I spent 18 years together learning together that mercy is stronger than the sword. And we serve a God of mercy. For mercy always triumphs over judgment. And here stands Elisha next to his king, asking, should we kill them? Should we kill them? And Elisha saying, is that how we treat captives? When people surrender willingly, do we kill them? Or do we accept their surrender? People who lay down their swords, do we then take up ours against them? Even in warfare, there are rules. And even in battles, there is space for mercy. They're tired, they're hungry, they're thirsty. They're men who want to go back home to their wives and families. Let's give them rest and let's send them home. Sending armed soldiers who have made a living raiding your wealth and kidnapping your people takes a whole lot of faith. The fact that I can glibly say, good for them, serve them a meal, that's how we change enemies' hearts, means I've never had people kick my door in and take my stuff. It takes an incredible amount of faith to send them home. Those who came to kidnap you, to torture you, to say, feed them, send them home. If they haven't changed, then they're going to be right back at your doorstep a week later. And you're going to turn to your prophet Elisha and say, why didn't you have me kill them? Why didn't we take this problem away? Um, if they're the same, they'll come back. But the, writers, the writer of 2 Kings says, they never came back. After this moment, whether it's the mercy, the table, the fellowship at the table, seeing the army around them of God's chariots of fire and saying like, Adam, we're not going to win that battle. Uh, whatever it was, whether it's concern for their own safety or the transformation of having a friendship with an enemy. They moved from trusting their swords and the arrogance and the lust of soldiers who see an easy victory into people who just went home and never came back again. 
I wonder what that walk home was like. Imagine you are going to capture this prophet Elisha, you're a good soldier who follows his, his orders, and you're there to take him home, and, and then you're blinded, you're led on a journey to Samaria, you open your eyes, you're at the capital, there's the king, you know what this is about? You're going to die. You see fiery soldiers around you, and you think, yeah, I'm definitely going to die. I backed the wrong horse. Uh, this is it for me. And then what happened was a table laid out for you. Food for your stomachs now and food to take home with you. Water to drink. Basic human decency. And then they're told, you can go home now. And as they're walking, I'm sure they're thinking, uh, I don't think the king's going to believe this story. <laughs> I don't know if we go home with, we say, well, we don't have Elisha. Yeah, we met him. He, he hugged a couple of us. You know, we definitely saw him. Uh, but he's not here, and this is going to sound wild, but it's because we were blinded for a number of hours. We were led to Samaria, to the king of Israel, and, and the king of Israel prepared a table for me and fed us, and we're done raiding. I have already began the process of taking my sword and repurposing it into a plowshare, something I can use to provide my own food. i am discovered a better way to live. You know, when I got home, there was my wife and kids doing what they always do when I come home from battle, looking at the horizon line, hoping dad comes home. And I did. And I came home and I told them, hey, I'm home for good. I'm not going back out there again. I have received a mercy. I've encountered a God. I can't go back to that way of life anymore. And hugged their kids, their wife, and, and began a new way of, of living, a new way of peace. What do you do when you're dependent on raiding? And that's off the table. Well, you stop stealing. And you provide for yourselves. And that's what happens, a lasting peace. Do you want to be a peacemaker? Do you think our city needs peacemakers right now? Do you think what God is calling us to do is to own the other tribe and to show them they're wrong and to, sort, and to go and raid their camp? And, or do you think maybe there's another way of finding peace together? If you desire to be a peacemaker, here's the important thing to remember. Here's the key. This is what I said, and I, I'm a preacher, so my default is to chastise you. Hey, be better peacemakers, guys. Instead of thinking, how was peacemaking made possible in this passage? What did Elisha see? How is he able to find a, a peacemaking way forward? Well, I don't know if we, you know, Bruce does an exceptional job each week choosing hymns. I don't know if you know that that first hymn he chose was about opening our eyes, opening our ears, and opening our mouth. And there's a, there's a logic to opening our eyes to see God who is all around us. That's the first thing that happened with Elijah. Opening ears to hear what God wants to do in this situation. And then opening the mouth of the prophet to speak and to say, no, that's not how we treat captives. We're going to feed them and send them home. The first step to peacemaking was having eyes opened to see that the long arc of history is long, but is bent towards God's purposes, it's bent towards justice. And that those 
who are peacemakers find that not only are they not alone, they outnumber those who want to sow discord. That God is on the side of peacemaking. And Elijah opens his mouth and proclaims the good news. No, we're not taking their lives today. No, we're not keeping them here. We're going to feed them. We're going to give them what they need. And we're going to send them back to their families. The first step to peacemaking is to not be afraid. People who are afraid cannot be peacemakers. And I'll tell you what, most of the news I see and read is engineered to make me afraid. And I cannot be a peacemaker when I spend all week being made afraid of other people. We cannot be peacemakers until all fear is gone because we have a vision that we are surrounded by God, his angels, chariots of fire, that those who are with us outnumber those who are against us. Three prayers. First prayer, open the eyes of my friend so he can see what I see. Second prayer, blind and thwart the enemies who have come to rob, kill, steal, and destroy. Third prayer, open the eyes of everyone that we might together have peace. Praying that their eyes may be blinded, that they may be reopened to seeing God surrounding them. Closing their eyes to the world where there are enemies and swords and things to be stolen, that are um, people to be kidnapped in this story. Opening their eyes into a new world. Um, very reminiscent of Jesus who announced, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The closing the eyes is the repenting. Closing the eyes to the, the way of force. Opening their eyes into a world where God is present, leading people to peace. You, who are peacemakers, know that you are not alone. Know that we are not alone. In fact, we who want to see peace, the peace of God in our community, greatly outnumber those who are sowing division in our town. You are not alone. We are not alone. For we are only to offer the hospitality to others that we've been shown by God. That those who are sowing seeds of discord in our community may be struck blind of the injustices and power of this world, only to have their eyes reopened and reimagined the way of peace, open and established to us forever in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would teach us and show us how to examine, question, even interrogate our fears. We think of the servant at the beginning of this passage who was afraid for his own life because of a battalion of soldiers that had come to capture his master. We move from fear to trust when we see you all around us. Lord, fill us with a vision of your loving presence surrounding us. And then knowing fully confident in you and your ways, may we be the peacemakers that your son talked about when he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. May it be in Christ's name.